You're listening to Black Neon Digital Podcasts, episode 25, Hannah Fiedler, the British fashion brand we want to wear right now. Welcome to Black Neon Digital Podcasts. I'm your host, Jodie Muter-Hamilton, the founder of Black Neon Digital, and I believe the future of fashion is to honour craftsmanship whilst embracing innovation and to support each other to build businesses that have integrity. The entrepreneurs and visionaries who we speak to are using fashion as a way to create change, finding new ways of working towards a more sustainable and connected fashion industry. We are living in unusual times with access to a wealth of information, yet increasing levels of confusion and diminishing levels of trust. We are told our viewpoint and opinions count. However, we do not feel they are reflected in what we see in front of us. In striving to take control of our own destiny, we end up working around the clock, our lives becoming more rather than less demanding. You may think, how on earth can we talk about fashion at a time like this? Well, the answer is that fashion drives immense cultural and economic value. Also, when we consider that women, many of whom want to shift in work-life balance, work in the fashion industry and are increasingly owners of SME businesses, we can see why what we wear really does matter. Fashion through the ages has shown times of change in one of two ways, by offering an alternative view of maximalism and escapism, or by stripping back and holding close the essence of what we believe to be true and essential. Hannah Fiedler is a contemporary British fashion designer who definitely identifies with the latter approach. Her namesake brands understated contemporary tailoring and captivating minimalist style is exactly what we want to wear right now. In this podcast, we find out what impact growing up in Germany's Bavarian countryside still has today on Hannah's approach to her life and work. We also discuss her training at the Berlin Opera House and what she has learnt from working with Mary Katranzu, Maria Gretschvogel, Gabriella Hurst and on Alexander McQueen's McHugh Collection. We're very happy to share Hannah's first ever podcast interview. Thank you so much for having us today, Hannah. Um, I came across your um, stand and you when you were exhibiting at the Positive Fashion Showcase showroom at British Fashion Council's London Fashion Week um, in September. And I just was blown away by your kind of approach to your work and your aesthetic particularly was really interesting to me. Um, Just kind of like the pared back luxury, but very... um, I don't know, wearable, like you can wear it with jeans, but it's also quite high. And it just, yeah, it really appealed to me. So thank you for um, having us here today. Um, just to kick off, I want to talk a little bit reverse back and talk about your sort of upbringing in Germany and, and what that means to your brand today. Uh, yeah, sure. Thanks very much for bringing me on board. I'm very excited for this. It's my first podcast. Really? <laughs> um, yeah, so... Growing up in Germany, I, I grew up in a very um, rural area. So uh, it, there's like a national park not too far away and um, nature is really the most domineering thing there. And um, I think that does feed into how I work also today because nature is still one of the things that inspires me the most. And um, I 
I love to see that everything we wear is is often coming from a natural resource. So um, I, I also made the conscious choice to only use natural fibers in my garments. And I really like to highlight the fact that what we wear comes from nature and, and natural resources combined with human skills is creating these beautiful products. So I think the way I grew up definitely has a big mm-hmm. impact on that. And then um, secondly, also my, my parents were... Um, quite eco warriors from when I was born already, and so I I grew up in a household that was very very conscious about the resources we use. They even won a prize because the the way they constructed their house is so ecologically friendly. Um, and you and, grew up um, in that house. I grew up yep. in that house exactly. So I, you know it's simple but super unusual things like they have a water tank that collects rainwater and that's used for the toilet flush because why would you need drinking water for the toilet right um and so it was always something that you know the respect for nature was always ingrained in me i think and um that's still what calms me down the most whenever i'm stressed I'm, i'm going for a walk and luckily here in london we do have quite easy access to very beautiful big parks that mm-hmm. give you that nature feeling so um that's still a very big um thing for me mm-hmm. today i think and also just touching on germany and their approach to um sustainability to ecologica you know all this kind of stuff like how how has that you know being born bred living in germany affected you today as a person living in london do you see things differently do you kind of see things that perhaps your average londoner or englander might not really see you know um yeah i think i mean there's there's a couple of brands also that produce in germany or that are sold in germany and they are a lot more um you know they they've they've started the the sustainability movement a lot earlier or it was always part of the brand where it still was not considered as chic mm. at all um and the the word um you know organic cotton was really considered to be like this hempy mm. look not flattering at all um and i think that which is still a lot of that kind yes, of happening yeah. and i think what's important to s- Shows exactly. that, you know, you're a shining example of not. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I think also that the German market is quite interesting because there's this thing in Germany about practicality. Clothes need to be practical. I, I did grow up in a, a family that very cliche like dresses often head to toe in outdoor, uh, out, uh, you know, outdoor wear yeah. gear. Um, and my, my sister actually has been working for quite some time with an outdoor wear brand. So, um, you know, we have the all better jacket, as we call it. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, yeah, there's a different approach to fashion. And I also think this in London, I've, I've been exposed a lot to retail therapy, which uh, I felt was not as... Um, Mm-hmm. as visible in Germany before I think it starts now also you know lots of international high street brands enter the German market but growing up that wasn't really mm-hmm. the case as in shopping as a as a way to unwind exactly and as a pastime, and, 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 as, a pastime yeah. as as a hobby literally mm-hmm. and and going shopping every every week I mean you know for me it was also always something that wasn't that available growing up in mm-hmm. the countryside we had to you know take the car and drive for an hour or an mm-hmm. hour and a half to be able to access these shops so um i was introduced very early by my mom to sewing and and that was actually something i always enjoyed and um i think now i'm teaching her how to make things which is quite nice um but yeah i I started quite early then also Mm. making my own clothes and just 
using it as an outlet for my creativity. Yeah. How how did that lead on to being at the Berlin Opera House? And how did that, from that journey, yeah. you know, grown, grown up in the countryside to the Berlin Opera House? I mean, quite a contrast. Yes, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I'm not quite sure how it happened, but I was very um, interested in, in theatre and opera. I was part of the drama club in my school um, and always enjoyed that. And then my, my dad had a friend whose wife was um, head of the tailoring department at uh, the Talia Theater in Hamburg and um, I'm exactly not sure how how he knew this would be something for me but he asked me if I would maybe be interested in doing an internship there during my summer holidays when I was 16 um, and I did that and since then it was absolutely clear for me I would love to um, study tailoring mm. at, a, at a stage. Um, I didn't care if it was opera ballet or, or theater it was just this stage environment and and the magic of it and the creativity that went into making these costumes that really blew me away and and the craftsmanship because so many people think that costumes are made really cheaply mm. and very quickly because they're just for the stage however you know they have to endure very, durability very, yeah exactly yeah. they really need to endure for for many many seasons as well they're often altered for different actors um and they're made incredibly well often with techniques that are not used commercially anymore because they're way too expensive um and that yeah really inspired me and and from that moment on it was it was clear what would be my path and mm-hmm. then uh, very luckily I was able to find a spot for an apprenticeship at the Opera House in Berlin. Okay, and how long were you there for? It was a three-year apprenticeship. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'm a trained Amazing. bespoke tailor. And um, I, again, was very lucky there because it was a state-funded program that they um, were really strict about the curriculum. So you had your standards that you needed to learn and they mm-hmm. made sure you wouldn't be used as cheap labor. Um, so, you know, you would start with... Um, hand sewing actually for the for the first couple of weeks I I was only sewing by hand and the first week only with the needle no thread so it was very uh, kind of from scratch so it was really just holding the needle in the right position and then you always use um, a ring like a metal ring on your finger to protect the finger Mm -hmm. and kind of the position and the movement perfecting that and making sure that you have the position and and the movement that allows you to sew as quickly and as 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 neat as possible so yeah that was really really strict um i for three months i did every morning 7 a.m to 9 um buttonholes by hand wow. and you you know you get your little blisters on your fingers and everything mm. um but it it really taught me so mm. much about also how things can be made if yes. you don't take money and time mm. as a limitation um and that is very rare to learn today and mm. additional to that very strict curriculum we then were able to work on the productions for the stage so um, I was able to work for Romeo and Juliet the ballet um, Swan Lake amazing period costumes mm. for for the operas because um, Berlin has a uh, several operas that are taken together as one foundation and they all have a shared workshop so mm-hmm. the amount of, of costumes that go through that are just incredible and it was always inspiring yeah. where would they get all the kind of um materials and, and silks and buttons and threads and things from kind of um, very traditional places i or? think your your usual places i mean for threads it's gutermann which is the yeah you know, omnipresent yeah. uh, supplier for these things. And then we we did have a couple of um, 
a salesman coming in from places like Skabal, which is a very traditionally known in the tailoring world. Um, and for, for the productions, I wouldn't actually know because mm. there's a different sourcing department. Mm. Um, but another thing that, that I was really taught by my teacher there is to be super, super careful and mm. use the, the, the fabrics you have in a very careful manner. Mm. So um, she would always keep things that are you know, still good to use for something smaller. We would make covers for the ironing board and everything ourselves. So mm. it was really a very careful use of, of resources. Yeah, to respect the, exactly. the things that you have. And, and use them obviously yeah. they taught us a lot about the different fibers, the different weave techniques, mm. that what is suitable for what. Um, and I think that was a, a big help for me than mm. studying later on here in London because I, I had mm. that technical background knowledge that really allowed solid, me to yeah. so yeah yeah where did you then go on to study I studied at London College of Fashion mm. um, and my degree was called fashion pattern cutting and it was quite interesting because I was not interested in pattern cutting whatsoever and I had applied for the women's wear design mm. course and um, they instead offered me pattern cutting and mm. I got really angry I was like no I'm not going to do this um, however, at kind of correlating at the same time, I was in New York and the Met Museum had the Charles James exhibition on there. And I, you know, was very interested in finding out more about him. And I went into the exhibition and it literally opened my really eyes because yeah. I, for the first time, understood that the way I design is actually pattern cutting. Yeah. And, um, it, you know, Germany is quite... Uh, technical in the pattern cutting yeah. so it's a little bit like painting by numbers um however there I saw the creative side of it and how you can use construction solely in order to create garments that are incredibly beautiful mm. and interesting without the need of decorating it overly and and so it really introduced me to the architectural side yeah. of of design yeah I think pattern cutting when you kind of get to know it's beautiful because yeah. it's kind of that 3d form and you yes. can you can drape and you can build and you can construct and you know I don't think there's a pencil in the world that can draw that on a flat piece of paper yes. in the same way and I think you Absolutely. know you can see that through your garments today that kind of like understanding um do you so who would you in terms of like pattern cutting stars who would you look to so historic or even modern day do you think um um who do you love i i like to look at furniture design okay um because that's another place where you know like the bauhaus movement mm. is is using quite um simplistic materials mm -hmm. in order to create something three-dimensional and finding ways of you know joining the wood together that i find quite interesting Charles James is definitely still a big yeah. inspiration for me. Um, luckily, the V&A Museum here has a few pieces mm. that I was able to see in the archives. And being able to really see it in person and, and kind of see it from all sides is, is amazing in order to understand the construction mm. behind it. Um, another designer who was a great pattern cutter was Balenciaga. Yes, of course. Um, the construction techniques he used are, are really inspiring. And we're actually now working on a code that is based on the Balenciaga one seam code because yeah, it's, that's, it's a square of fabric. You have no waste almost whatsoever. Yeah, and it's <laughs> such a simple way of constructing, yeah. but so fascinating. Yeah. So um, we, we want to work on an homage to yeah. that for our new collection, which yeah. I'm very excited about. That is amazing. I'm going to 
and be very excited to see that. <laughs> um, when I was like, studying at Kingston, one of my projects was actually on that coat as well. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, it's just the holy grail of like perfection, yes. right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So sort of following on from the education piece, you went and you've done various sort of internships with um, designers both yes. here and in New York. Is that right? So um, Mary Katransu, Gabriella Hurst, um, and Marie Gretsch Vogel, and also a little bit at um, McHugh, McQueen. Yes, yeah. exactly. Can just, yeah, can you explain the differences between them? Because kind of for me, looking outward, that there's a lot of structure there, but also quite print-led brands, mm, true. Um, and which yours is kind of not at the moment. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. I mean, I always tried interning as much as I could already during my studies um, to gain industry experience. Um, built contacts as well. Um, so my first internship during my first year uh, was Mary Katransu, which was incredibly inspiring, also due to the fact that, you know, you, you hear so much about how difficult the fashion industry is and how hardworking you need to be. And I, I wasn't sure if I would be cut mm. out for it. Particularly Mary, I know, has got a very strong work ethic as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and so interning with them, working literally day and night, weekends on and off um it it taught me that I still loved going in mm. every morning and yes I was tired and it was a lot of work but I loved every moment of it and that is you know highly due to the team as well because from the very first day they made me feel as part of the team you know they asked mm. for my name who I am what I'm doing what I like and we always had a conversation so um Mary is very much about pattern cutting as well, isn't she? So, she has yeah. a team of yeah. amazing pattern cutters yeah. there too. So that kind of taught me a bit more about the the way that pattern cutting is really done in the industry because mm. the way you learn it at university, you know, there's always difference than to the industry mm. because everyone has their own techniques. Um, and yeah, so that the main part of this was really to see yes, I love this enough and I enjoy it enough to also do mm. very hard work and long hours and still not be disenchanted it, by yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then moving on, so that was your first internship? That was my first yeah. internship. And then second summer, I um, was very lucky to um, intern with Colette, who was the head pattern cutter at McHugh, um, which is the casual line of McQueen. Mm. And she was just really wonderful in, in taking me on. And um, again, an amazing team, making me feel at home from the very beginning. And she has a, she was very structured in the way she would kind of navigate. And she was um, heading the atelier team. So making sure everyone knows what they're doing and, you know, what still needs to be done. So kind of, yeah, structuring the atelier team was, was a big thing I learned from her. And also the way she was just the kindest person um and I I fell in love with the fashion industry from a very different perspective again because it's not just about the product but there's incredible people working mm. there and the beauty of it is that you don't go into fashion for money right yeah. so if you don't do go into fashion it's because it's your passion yeah and that means that you can work with people mm. whose passion is what they're doing and yeah, that's that a really beautiful is thing there, isn't it? yeah and that's and, a really beautiful thing yeah and the um sort of important element for you particularly is the craftsmanship side yes. and that real skill and kind exactly. of being taught and that yeah. kind of honestly say from Colette passed down as well is yeah. really and important. although um UQ is the diffusion line so the pieces are a lot more commercial than the main line the the working process was the same mm. as you would see it um in the main line and it was you know 
very hands-on, very um, uh, desk-based still because um, now a lot of the brands move into digital pattern cutting. However, there everything is handmade. There were two amazing seamstresses that would make the trials in-house as well. Um, So, yeah, the entire process there was was really nice to see. How do you feel about digital pattern cutting and kind of twirling Mm. on a computer and not on a stand? I I think it, it really depends. So that kind of ties in with then me working with Maria Gratchfogel during my my final year um, part-time because she does only digital pattern cutting. Mm. Um, And I think you need to know your shapes very well and you need to know exactly what you want to achieve. And then digital pattern cutting is amazing because it's, you know, it's a lot smaller. Um, Your pattern cutting tables are often massive. You need a lot of space. It's a Mm. lot of paper. It's a lot of faffing around with big pieces of paper um whereas if you can have it on your laptop that's quite Mm. convenient um for me at the moment it's not something that is working that well because i like the experimentation with my Mm. hands and often i i see something i like i try to basically copy the this shape or the construction that i saw and in the process of figuring out how they did it i find my own way of doing Mm. it and i this kind of experimentation part is incredibly inspiring to mm. me. And that's how a lot of my pieces mm. kind of find its beginnings. However, um, you know, now that we start moving into making garments that are based on a pattern that already exists, exists yeah, you can evolve digital it. pattern mm. cutting makes it a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't need to do an entire new pattern that, you know, you copy by hand for hours and mm. you can just adjust it digitally. And then also, so all the grading we do is digitally. Yeah. And we have a, a company that helps us with that. They digitize the manual pattern, which I made, and then grade it into different yeah. sizes. And doing that manually just doesn't give you any benefit. It's just mm. a lot more time consuming and often a lot more inaccurate. And then having also the digital files yeah. as an archive is a lot more... Um, space efficient (laughs) exactly do you do you think you can get those happy accidents you know when you're pattern cutting and you kind of come across something that you were like wow that just looks great and I didn't plan to do that can that happen digitally absolutely well digitally I don't think so, no. to be honest. Like we we had some uh, some lessons uh, using Lectra at school, and yeah. they have this three D modeling uh, program where you you stitch the garment digitally. Um, I, I'm not sure if it was just me, and I, I think the software is actually a lot more. Um, clever than than what I could use but it looked hilarious when you would put it on and it would just not work out and especially anything because I work a lot with pleats and tucks Mm. and things that are kind of hidden behind something else and not always stitched in the most logical Mm. matter like it it's quite rare that you find a a garment of mine that has your regular side seam your regular center back seam and then just a normal sleeve like there's always something in the construction and this 3D modeling thing did not work out for me, uh, unfortunately. But to be honest, uh, to try though, I, I could have yeah. practiced a bit more, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, no, these happy accidents yeah. for me happen yeah. when I do something physically. With your hands. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, just thinking a bit about, so I also love Gabriella Hurst. Can you just talk about your your experience there and kind of because I guess aesthetically that's a little bit more in line with where you've gone with your own brand? Yes. Yeah. I was very lucky to be able to work with her um, because through like four or five different people, somehow my work was passed on to her. 
and she reached out to me and um, I had known her work before, really liked it, especially also for what she does on sustainability. Mm. Um, and then her asking me to come and work for her for, for some time was incredible. And, uh, you know, it allowed me also to get to know the, the US-based mm. fashion industry, which does work quite a bit different than what you see here how, in how London. How does it differ? Well, I felt it was a lot more, I guess, not corporate, but um, office-based. Like mm. here you still see a lot of physical ateliers in-house where you have a seamstress that is sewing twirls. Whereas um, Gabriella has worked a little bit more, um, you know, with sketches and, and making sure everything is really neatly presented. And then they worked with either New York-based um, houses or also Italy-based um, studios that would then develop the patterns mm -hmm. and and make the trials um so that was a very different way of work, working for me because yeah, i'm so hands-on and always been working very experimentation based mm -hmm. and um doing lots of things with my own hands so this this was a very new approach to me and, and, and taught me a lot of things of how do i prepare my work in order for someone else to yes, understand yeah. what i want to achieve because that's actually really tricky i find that's um that's a skill to have yeah. so that was definitely a, a, a big difference in in my experience there um but you know i think entering into the the work world and fashion is not easy there's very little junior roles that are open that especially are for designs well. that are Decently paid and fairly live. paid yeah. that's very rare and um yeah her reaching out her hand and, and allowing me to get that experience was really great and, and I'm super happy she she did take the plunge and take the risk in me um, and also just the way she manages her team was incredibly inspiring to me she's um, very authentic the person that you see in interviews is exactly who I met as a person um, and that was very beautiful to see and also the way she structures her business and her personal life to to go along were incredibly inspiring to me in terms of her kind of being sustainable looking after her home yes you know, exactly but also looking after her kids making sure that you know she usually left the office around 6 p.m and she had a regular work day and she made sure that she's home in the evenings mm. to spend time with her kids and she um was very uh, organized in having the collection ready on time. Mm. <laughs> so she was not the typical rushing everything yeah. just Pins a minute the before minute. the yeah. show, <laughs> just make it look nice on the outside yeah. and just yeah. send it down the runway. That's not her. She was incredibly mm. well prepared. Um, and it was the most relaxed show experience I've ever witnessed, I Amazing. think. Um, but she she just knows what she wants. You know, she started the brand when she wasn't 20 anymore. She had experience before. And it's very considerate in the way she's rolling out the entire brand step by step. And you see the vision is very authentic. It's very true to mm -hmm. her. Um, and very yeah. grounded and quite solid. And, yeah. yeah, she's very true to herself, not compromising on it, not apologizing for who she is. And mm -hmm. I think that's really inspiring. Mm. How do you, um, how would you then now approach or how do you approach building your brand? So you've kind of had this experience and you've taken elements from things that you like and kind of even when we've thought about, um, you know, the craftsmanship element that's really important to you, the pattern cutting, using natural fibers, how are you building a brand on that foundation to obviously sell things, you know, because that's the reality if, if we don't make money we don't sell things yeah. we can't have a brand okay so yeah kind of yeah I think um 
you know, my background being so, so much on the technical and, and the product side, um, that is really the point for me to start is making sure I have a product that I'm very proud of putting out there. So developing the designs and, and really paying attention to it, testing it, wearing it, making sure it really feels good is, is definitely step number one. And so it's a very design-led business, mm. I would say. I never, ever thought I would use the word like entrepreneur for myself because mm. that's never how I saw myself. But now I'm kind of forced to going mm. into that world of, you know, running a business and also doing the sums, the, the, <laughs> the numbers and yeah. things that don't come that easy to me. Um, yeah, so it's it's definitely a business that's mm. built on the foundation of design mm. and product. Um, I think having worked with Gabriella kind of almost gave me the the approval of not compromising on that. Um, that is something that was very inspiring to me with her is that you don't use fabrics that you don't want to have on your own skin. Mm. Um, Can you just explain why the, the, the natural fabrics are important to you and you don't want to use synthetics? Or, I mean, because obviously we know as well that, for example, cotton's a, a very water-thirsty yes, kind yeah. of crop. So it's kind of, you know, there's pros and exactly. cons there's around that. There's definitely pros and cons. Yeah. And you, I think you need to make sure it works for you and your product. And I think, you know, doing a lot of tailoring, doing silk blouses, um, like elevated day wear, um, for me, natural fibers are the most logical way to go there because that's um, what you want to achieve. Like if, if you have a, synth- a synthetic silk, it is still trying to be silk. Mm. Um, and usually people then use it to to make the garment cheaper and, mm. and not to make it feel better and to be more ecologically friendly. Um, at the same time, you know, for things like swimwear, it wouldn't make sense to use organic cotton, right? You do use then your recycled polyester because that's the best option you can get there. So I think you kind of need to see what makes sense for for your product and working in tailoring. Wool is the most dominating fabric ever in tailoring and it it, it makes so much sense for, for all its properties of it, you know, being antibacterial, um, not wrinkling too much. If you steam it, you can actually make it look great without having to wash it at all. Wool does a fabric that you really barely ever need to wash. Um, I never know if that's a good thing or not. Um, But then again, you know, you can mold it to the shape that you need. So um, for for tailoring wool is the the fabric that makes sense. There there wouldn't be really a good reason for me to say, okay, it makes sense for me to use Mm. polyester there unless you want to make it less um, expensive. Mm. And um, how do you how do you go around your cost structure then? So I was talking to someone yesterday and we were talking about, you know, marketing fees, doing events, kind of all mm. this sort of stuff. Um, and actually, you know, it's a big expense to do exhibitions. It's yeah. a big expense to do a lookbook, to print things, to go to sell things in other countries, etc. Mm. And that has to be put into the cost of your garment so when you're assessing things to do so we know that you've just done the um the showrooms at london fashion week and that's obviously a cost associated to that how do you know that you're getting value out of that and how how do you measure that and kind of Mm. you know i know that you've had a really great experience at the bfc showrooms can you just explain 
how you know it's good to do something. It, it's almost it's unexplainable, thing, right? to be honest, it, because you know, don't know in the beginning. Yeah. You know, it was my first time doing it. I, I obviously had a great opinion about the British Fashion Council and the work they're doing. And I, I spoke to a couple of friends who'd been doing it before, but then you never know, does it actually work for me? So there is always a risk involved. And um, to, to your question about the cost structure is that at this stage, we purely um, calculate in the production costs and the design cost, the marketing, everything around it is not calculated into the prices. Mm-hmm. It's purely based on the, the cost of making and, and the ingredients that you need. Um, we, we do then work with the industry standards in terms of markups because we want to make sure we are ready to work also with wholesale um, and retailers in order to reach the customers that we need to reach. Um, and like there's different approaches and I, I, I guess it will be a matter of seeing from experience then if we need to adjust that but I made the conscious decision to not do what is called emotional pricing which would mean that if something looks more like an evening piece and it looks shiny you you Mm. can charge more for it because people expect it to cost more but my pricing is really purely based on the cost of the garments Mm. um yeah I think it's there's a reason that people do emotional pricing because sometimes you you feel like this piece is too simple for it to cost that much. I now made the choice to to go really the the cost based pricing. Mm. We'll see what makes sense later yeah. on, but it, it feels more fair mm. in a way. But yeah, and and, and I don't feel um, that the customers should pay for me experience uh, experimenting with mm. what works for me in terms of marketing or not. So I, I wanted to make sure that and keep it separate. Exactly. Yeah. So your two collections in now, is that right? I always had one and a half. <laughs> <laughs> we, we launched with the, the collection called prologue. So it's literally just an introduction. It was capsule collection of nine pieces. So not a full collection yet. And now with uh, the BFC, we, we showcase our first full collection called chapter one. Mm-hmm. Um, that again, picks up on the, the, the designs and, and t- topics mm-hmm. basically that we had in, in the capsule collection. So yeah, I would say we are one and a half mm-hmm. collections. I, in now. I love the fact that you are kind of using it, the book analogy and yes. kind of the narrative will retain throughout the book. I think that's amazing. Like it's yeah. just such a nice thing to do and sort of feel um wondering a little bit we've touched on it but what would you say the challenges of a small business are a fashion business particularly um based here in the UK and also thinking a little bit about we're very close to Brexit deadline Mm -hmm. um I know you've been talking to uh the Department of Trade and Investment da 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 you know how do how are you feeling at the minute kind of what your challenges well in terms of Brexit I think I feel exactly the same as everyone else, very confused about what's happening. It's impossible to prepare for anything because we don't know what will be happening. I mean, you know, being German myself, having had the amazing privileges of the European Union, of being able to just come here, study here, you know, pay this tuition fees that also um, British students pay, and then being able to set up a business here, I obviously would like uh, this not to be an issue that we have to talk about now. Um, I mean, I made the choice to remain in in the UK and start my business here because I think 
the the British fashion industry, thanks to the BFC, has an amazing support system for young designers. And there's still hunger here for young brands and the infrastructure is there. So mm-hmm. I, I was able to find manufacturers and ateliers that can work with me on production from May to order to a bigger number of pieces seamlessly. And I, I didn't know of any other place, but I could have done mm-hmm. that. And also London is incredibly inspiring to me and I love being surrounded by people who also are building yeah. or have built something already. Um, well, I think it's that what isn't a challenge in, yeah. the, in a young business. Um, for me particularly, it is definitely the, the numbers game. I would say uh, if I could, I would be happily locking myself into the atelier only creating mm. designs, but that's not how it works, mm. right? And Finding also what is your own voice in terms of how you want to speak to customers, finding your customers, how to engage them, what do they want, what do they need. It's a guessing game in the beginning, but the beauty of it is that slowly but surely we we start having that feedback. And um, so far, uh, we we really didn't have to alter what we thought would mm. be our customer and what we thought would resonate with them, which is incredibly lucky. Mm. Um, and yeah, just finding your unique voice because I think the the fashion industry is changing quite a bit. Um, yeah. You know, trends are shifting, and I never saw myself having a, a massive conglomerate of a brand, mm. kind of. Uh, or uh, sorry, I never saw myself as as part of a big conglomerate mm. or um, having a brand that is, you know, kind of. In association with Chanel, for mm. example, I I would love to keep it a little bit more personal mm. and uh, keep that idea of of the craftsman in it. So yeah, I think finding a voice of how to communicate that and you know you being being small but visible, mm. I guess is is the challenge. Balance, and, isn't it? Yeah. You know, now it's also it will be about building a team, being able to grow, finding the right people is incredibly difficult who, you know, resonate with your brand and, and can help you also um, yeah, kind grow of grow with you. Yeah, and, and just yeah. adding on to your skill set because you, you cannot be everything and you cannot be good at everything. So mm-hmm. it's important to find people who can help you with that. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Um on your website and, and kind of one of the things that you live by is that um, you approach sustainability as a as a journey of education and respect towards people and the planet. And I just kind of like that, um, you know, the journey we've talked about, we're on the journey all together kind of thing, but the journey of the education piece is kind of very, you're being very open about the fact that you're not um, perfect. You're very aware that, you know, we've talked off air before about kind of fibers and this and that. And it's kind of, you know, you're just very open about it. And I just like that fact that you can be, you know, you're learning too. We're all learning. And that's kind of just really nice and refreshing, you know, kind of just to feel that. yeah. So is there anything that you want to tell us? Like what's coming up next for you? Um, we we are working on a very exciting collaboration right now that hopefully we'll be announcing uh, towards the end of the year, which mm-hmm. I'm very excited about. Um, With a person or a retailer? Or it's <laughs> a, out of here, well, it's a, a, a creative person in a, in a very different field. And uh, yeah, we, we were very lucky to meet each other and kind of fell in love with each other's work and I'm very excited to to be 
you know, creating something together with her. Um, working on the next collection already, kind of growing um, our design spectrum and bringing in also a little bit of outerwear and, and now kind of pieces for fall and winter. It's very exciting. Balenciaga um, coat. Exactly. Mm. We, we found some very um, exciting uh, mills as well mm. who produce very special fabric and I'm hoping to bring them into this collection then. So it's it's really an ongoing process. And as you said, you know, we we are very transparent about it. And I think that is the way for us to also allow people to help us because um, if, if people know that you're struggling with one thing or you haven't found the perfect solution, then they can always say, oh, have you thought about mm. this? Have you thought about that? And that's very exciting for us. And mm. just, yeah, continuing to to grow the brand, building up um, the narrative around it as well. Um, I think from the beginning, there was quite a clear vision of what I want to achieve, but then finding out how to achieve it and also finding the time to execute mm. it isn't, isn't it always easy. What is and, that vision? What could you summarize um, it? So I think if you, if you would look at it in a more abstract way, what I was very inspired by is, is kind of modern food and cuisine, what's happening right now in this industry, because what um, I love is if you have an experience where you can watch the chef prepare your food. And I'm very excited that, especially in the higher end of, of, um, um, food this is happening right now and it's not about 10 tablecloths and like perfect silverware anymore but it's really about having a beautiful table maybe even a rustic feeling and then someone coming and explaining to you where mm. your carrot is from you know where the fish has been ca- uh, caught and and how it's been prepared maybe it's been dehydrated and then rehydrated with wine or you know all these little things that go into making this perfect piece on your plate is incredibly exciting and and I had a moment where I was able to watch a chef through a window prepare my food and then he started watching me while I ate it because I was so excited Mm. about it and that relationship was something so beautiful because I was enjoying his art and he was enjoying the fact that I was enjoying it and bringing that into fashion is Mm. my idea um so allowing customers to come onto the journey understanding where is the fabric from who made it? How was it made? What's special about it? How much time went into it? Kind of creating a relationship between the maker, the garment and the customer is is really my vision. And, you know, later down the line that will hopefully end up in, you know, an open studio experience mm. where the, the shop goes along with the atelier and where people are able to kind of um, see how things are made and it being very transparent now you know we're at an early stage so a physical store is not really <laughs> on the horizon yet but finding a way of communicating that through you know social media our website and all the channels that we can use would be do what you do, want um, to do so you do made to order do you mm-hmm. do like by appointments so people could come and visit you and yes kind of yeah absolutely okay. i mean that's always the most exciting for me if i do see how people also react mm. to putting on the garments. Um, we, we, we work made to order only at the moment also to keep our finances stable, mm-hmm. um, to not have any debt stock, to not produce something that we will never, ever sell. Because as a young brand, we still need to build up our knowledge about, you know, how many styles will so be sold in which colors in which sizes that's making a buy is, is incredibly difficult. That's a science on its own. And so we decided to, make samples that um, are in a size 10. So we are trying to accommodate 
more sizes than if we would have a size six model for people to actually be able to try it and then work on a made to order basis. That doesn't mean that you cannot return it should it not fit or suit you. Um, But it allows us to really only produce products that are needed and wanted Mm -hmm. and um, not end up having a shelf of beautiful slip blouses that no one ever will wear. That would be just dreadful. Yeah. I think I think you bang on the money about that. Um, okay, thank you so much, Hannah. Thank, thank you, you very, very much for having me. It's it's been an absolute pleasure. Yay. I'm glad I was your first podcast. <laughs> very okay. excited about Yay. that too. <laughs> Till next time, be sure to join the conversation via Instagram at Black Neon Digital, Twitter at Digital Neon, and online at blackneondigital.com. dot